What is going on, everybody? Welcome to The Game Informer Show, a weekly podcast covering the video game industry. Join us every Thursday for a discussion about the latest gaming news, reviews, and exclusive reveals alongside Game Informer staff and special guests from around the industry. I'm your host, Alex Van Aken, and today I'm joined by Kyle Hilliard. How you doing, Kyle? Good. Brian, I know you're excited about video, but put your shirt back on. Okay, come on. We're trying to keep please, it professional here. Please. You look good, all right? Just, that's that's what you're looking for, right? I was, now you yeah, can put the shirt just, back on. For audio listeners, he's just, you know, like standing there still, completely still. He's got his, you know, Elgato, not his Elgato, his, this is falling apart. <laughs> Brian Shea, how you doing? I'm good, What's and I'm on? actually wearing two shirts, so I don't know what Kyle is talking about. <laughs> yeah, now that, yes now that we- be here, Brian. What are you doing? Come but on. it is interesting that we can see each other. This is, this is new again for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been, what, mm-hmm. a year since we've done video? um it's been a week oh okay hey, ben, yeah <laughs> yeah it's been a week uh, before that it uh yeah maybe like eight months nine months okay like that. well i'm glad to be back it's good to see yeah. your beautiful faces once again you know i i don't like to relax ever so having the camera on me at all times is it's it's good to be back you know i don't need Always a camera on. for not being able to relax <laughs> my anxiety does a good job of that yeah perfect Charles Hart, how you doing, Charles? Hello, I'm good. I'm really glad nobody asked me to put my shirt back on because yeah, we're all comfortable yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah you, yours can stay off. You're good. You know, today we're going to be talking about uh, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. That's why I gathered this very specific crew of people. We're all big fans of Breath of the Wild. We're going to talk about Shay's hands-on impressions from Tears of the Kingdom. Then in the latter half of the show, uh, Matt Miller uh, is going to be joining us to talk about his Jedi Survivor review. But first, uh, big news in the world of Game Informer. You want to support us? Maybe you don't. Maybe, you know, you don't like your mailbox being full. You don't, know, you don't don't invite this, Alex. If they, you know, <laughs> here's what I'm trying to say. Right now, and, and forevermore, hopefully, you go to GameStop.com slash Game Informer. Not only are you going to see, like, I think they have, like, our, our recent reviews that are positive on there. If you scroll to the bottom of the page, you can now buy single issues of Game Informer for $5.99 a piece. GameStop.com slash Game Informer. If you want a single issue, we now do that. Uh, and right now we have three our three most recent issues. So our Resident Evil 4 issue is $5.99. Uh, Dead Island 2, $5.99. And our indie issue with the Sea of Stars cover is five ninety nine, and I am told that Diab our Diablo cover is coming very soon. But Alex, what if I want twelve issues that come all at once? Oh, well, then you can go to GameInformer.com slash magazine uh, and get all the info you need to sign up for a yearly subscription, which I believe is fourteen ninety nine a year. And I, I apologize because I completely bungled that easy softball question because I was getting notifications on my screen and I completely messed up. They don't come all at once. They come every several weeks, one yes, at a time. Yes. This may be small, but like I'm actually really genuinely very happy about this. Like to be able to sell like single issues now. Like a few I'm I i do not know how far we're gonna go back with this and that kind of thing, but like it's such a simple thing that I'm glad we we've finally been able to implement. It's overdue. Yeah, I think like, I mean, there's only so many subscriptions people have, you know, room for in their life. And I'm a big proponent of like all the software I use all the time. I'm like, could I just please just buy this and not have to worry about a subscription? You know, so like, you know, if if you're one of those people, you just want to buy the issues that you're interested in. Uh, you have that option now. 
Uh, again, GameStop.com slash Game Informer. It's great news for my mom who always wants to see the issues I'm in, but she doesn't want a GameStop <laughs> rewards program. <laughs> so now That's fair. if I do a big thing, I'm like, mom, I got great Here news you go. for you. And it yeah. costs $6. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Uh, well, with that out of the way, let's get uh, let's get into business. Shay, you recently flew to New York City, sunny uh, Manhattan, you, sunny Manhattan, and you played Zelda Tears of the Kingdom for an hour, two hours, more more than any of us on the call. So it's complicated. Okay, so I got there, and I had like a twenty or fifteen minute hands off demo, I would say, and then a 15-minute hands-on session, and then, like, another hour-long hands-on session. So over an hour. Okay, cool. What was that first presentation like? Was that Onuma talking about the game? No, it was a Nintendo Treehouse member who... Okay, gotcha. And I did ask him, I was like, have you beaten this game? And he's like, oh, yeah. So he (laughs) he has beaten Tears of the Kingdom. So it can be completed. Okay, we know that. We can add that. All right. Um, And, yeah, he just kind of was giving... It was basically the same area that Onuma's gameplay demo took place in but he did things a little bit differently like mm. there was one moment where like you know like the boat section where like Aonuma put together the three logs and then put fans on the back of it to like blow them across yeah this guy was like all right well here i'm gonna build that same boat that uh mr Aonuma built and he put it in like the logs didn't go together the way he wanted and he's like oh so what you can do in this case is you can while still in ultra hand jiggle the right stick back and forth and that detaches the logs so mm. like it, it okay. detaches the last attachment that you made so if you make a mistake you can just undo it that way and then um it's like shaking your iphone to do undo did you guys know you could do that what was that i I always do it accidentally yeah (laughs) i hate it (laughs) so what he did instead of having the fans was he attached he decided to open up a quick access menu they're called zonai devices and some of them are lying around the world other ones you could just have them in your inventory and he went into this quick access menu using the D-pad and brought out rockets. So he attached two rockets to the back of the boat. And instead of kind of just like sailing across the way Aonuma did, he like got on the boat and all you have to do is whack it with your weapon. You, you hit one of them on the vehicle and it activates all the Zonai devices that you've attached to your vehicle at once. And that sent the boat just flying across the river, like literally Brian, like airborne. I, I just... You are. You must be confused. Alex asked you to describe your time with Zelda, not a bizarre fever dream you had last <laughs> night. That doesn't make any sense. This is so wild to me. It's so bizarre. Like we've seen. Oh gosh. Right, please. Do you continue. have any any sense, Shay, of the limits of Ultra Hand and Fuse? Like, if I wanted to add like seven or eight logs together, is it going to let me instead of like two or three? You know. I mean, I don't know what the limits are for Ultra Hand. I know for Fuse, there is one slot her weapon or shield and like so and and like each item has the potential to increase like durability damage or give it a special property so like there was yeah. one example where like he had like a sword and there was a cracked wall in front of him and normally in the zelda game you see a cracked wall you throw a bomb at it and that opens it in this case he attached like a, a stone to the end of the sword and it gave it the property that it can break through cracked walls so he ran up to it and hit it a couple of times and it opened the wall and it was able to go into that cave. Um, and then like one thing that I did, I was like, I'm going to see how like weird I can get with these fusions. I went and like, I took the fan that like Aonuma had fused to, or used ultra hand to combine with a boat. I took a similar fan and attached it to my shield 
And every time I raised my shield, it actually blew enemies backwards. And I actually blew one off of the, the island, which was kind of funny. <laughs> that's, um, that's but awesome. of course, be- because there's weapon durability and shield durability, every time I had the fan on, it was actually degrading the shield. So it broke really fast. So you have to be kind of mindful of that. And there's actually a separate um, like kind of energy resource. I think they're called Zonai Charges. That's like a, a like a secondary bar that appears whenever you're using a Zonai device. It's like in like the middle bottom of the screen. Um, like if you have a, any Zonai device working at all, it depletes that and it recharges um, back back up to like the amount that you have. I'm assuming you're going to be able to upgrade that like like you do with your stamina bar and your hearts in Breath of the Wild. But like you can so also... it's attached to Link as opposed to attached to the individual items. Correct. And, Interesting. Okay. But you can find Zonai charges like as a resource around the uh, the world, and you can either use those as additional Zonai charge energy, or you can trade them in. I'm sure you saw this in the trailer where there was kind of like it looks like a gotcha machine. It was those are called Zonai device dispensers, and you can trade Zonai charges that you find around the world into those, and then it spits out like a capsule machine almost randomized Zonai devices. And there's all kinds of stuff. Like there was like a portable cooking pot. So like if you're not anywhere near like a, a campfire with a cooking pot, you can actually deploy a one-time use cooking pot. And it's a Zonai device and just cook wherever you are, which is kind of cool. Portable cooking pot is the exact kind of thing that I, <laughs> that like all this other stuff we're talking about, very good, very new, very cool. Portable cooking pot. I'm like, man, that's going to save me so much time. Charles, there's also recipe cards what? now. Oh. Yeah, yeah, like full on illustrated recipes, so you can keep like track in of, the menu. Of, or yeah, wild. yeah, and I know this because I'm editing yeah. Shay's mm-hmm. video, the video component to his piece with the B roll. Brian, do you, and I, I saw it. And I was like, Whoa. do you did you still have all the items from the original game? Did you still have bombs and freezing and mag- not that mag- I mag- saw? Uses? So you, oh, we, okay, all right, but this that might, we don't we still don't you don't know if those are gonna come back again yeah so the ones that i had at my disposal were fuse which is the weapons and shields to items ultra okay. hand which is combining items around the world zonai devices with like other things to you can make like like uh like vehicles and stuff so fuse and ultra hand two separate things yes right? fuse is okay because that was something to I was shield and about. and uh weapons and ultra hand is okay, like gotcha. pretty much any other inanimate objects that you want to combine and Got often okay. used for vehicles, but I used them for like solving puzzles and stuff like that as well. And um, then there's recall, where like any moving inanimate object, you can freeze time, target it, and then rewind it. So there was one where like I had to storm a Bacoblin camp, and there was this Moblin that like was tossing uh, explosive barrels my way, and it actually killed me alongside this rolling spiked ball that the other Bacoblin sent down a hill and I, I was like oh my god like what what I, I guess I could have been stealthier but what else should I have done there and like I, I quickly like because I, I fell into my breath of the wild habits of like okay I'm gonna sneak up on them and like fight them with my sword and whatever and I was like oh wait I have all these other like new abilities at my disposal and that's really gonna be the challenge I think is rewiring your brain to use these new abilities and I, I had that both in exploration uh combat and even like puzzle solving where it was like, I need to like think with these like new abilities. And in my preview, the kind of the parallel that I drew with like, as I played more and more in this very, very early sequence, by the way, it's not even like I was like playing like late game stuff. This was like early stuff. So probably just like the 
the fundamentals of where these mechanics are going. And even mm-hmm. then I was like starting to get that feeling that I had with like the portal series where I was just like, Oh, I'm going to have to kind of like destroy my brain and like rebuild it from the ground up in order to like fully wrap my head around how like all these mechanics are going to coalesce and interact with one another. Like it really felt uh, familiar in that way, even though like the, the abilities are, are drastically different and almost encourage you to break like the, the physics of this game. I, saw something in the gameplay they sent us Shay and I'm prepared to cut it out of the podcast if we can't talk about it but it looked like you could throw down your own custom fast travel points yes so there is a um I forget what it's called I I have my notes here somewhere but yeah there is one at least on, on mine I had a one fast travel uh, point that you can throw down and that way like if you fall off of the island I'm trying to look in my notes here to see if I had it you can just instantly return to it was that a one of the Zonai things it's called a travel medallion it is it's just its own thing it's like an oh, item okay. that you can just like place like I, I did that as I went from uh, from island to island I would place you can recall it by just going into the map like you you can select it say like recall travel medallion and then it's back in your inventory and then you can place another one down right Th- this was in breath of the wild i was this gonna was say in, yeah yeah it was yeah it was in the master trials dlc yeah, yeah. oh okay yeah. but it is it's well, nice cool. to see you have it from the beginning because that was in in breath of the wild is one of those things where i was like wow this is great could have used this 200 hours ago so <laughs> i basically yeah. just left it at my house you know but that's cool that's cool that that's there that does make me ask when you look at the map are there like two layers of map i didn't get a whole lot of time like spending spent like looking at the map but because uh, i was i would say 95 percent of my time up on uh, in the demo is up in the islands so whenever i opened the map it looked like it was just the sky islands so there must be two layers there in that regard. i can confirm this okay <laughs> You've... i have watched the footage that we were sent like multiple <laughs> times over like um Yes, there are. It's like um, think of like a game where like there are multiple floors and you can like change the floor yeah. that you're looking at. It's like that. It's like uh, I don't know, whatever. Like the normal Hyrule and then the Skylands or whatever is a separate Sky Islands is a separate map. So, um, but it's kind of like translucent a little, so you can still kind of mm. see the first, like the bottom, uh, the Earth a little bit. So the way yeah. that, I, and I completely lost the thread earlier when I was talking about like approaching that Bacoblin camp, so I can pick that back up. <laughs> I know we got so excited, we're just like, we know somebody who's played Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> we gotta ask some <laughs> questions. So basically, like I, I went back a second attempt at storming this camp, and like the Moblin picked up the explosive barrel and threw it my way. And what I did was I used recall. I had recall equipped. And when he threw it, it when you select recall, it actually slows time like really, really slow. So I just selected, I, I looked up at the airborne explosive barrel, selected it and like had it fly right back at him. It exploded upon impact and also made the other barrels that were near him explode. So that took him out. And then I saw the spiked ball rolling down the hill at me. And I was like, all right, well, I bet I could do the same thing with that. So I did that and it rewound it back up. And we saw that in one of the earliest trailers where it was like Link rewound time on the one specific object. And it went back and like took out some of the Bacoblins that were running downhill after it. And, you know, it didn't kill them, but like it was able to like knock out significant chunks of their health. So like I thinned the numbers a little bit. And then I got up there and I was like, okay, I'm going to take this camp. 
And there were like nine or ten bokoblins like up there. And like there was a giant one that had a horn that was like riling them up. And I was like, all right, this might be harder than I thought. So like I I had like like more explosive barrels that were up in the camp. So I tried using Ultra Hand to like relocate them and put them like between them and me and then try to like blow them up using like uh, like a fire property arrow. Because you could fuse. I started fusing like fire onto the arrows to have like fire arrows and I, I started trying to blow up the uh the the explosive barrels using those and it like took out a couple of them but I was like all right this is this is a fool's errand I'm probably gonna die again so I just made a break for it and there I can't say much about like how I got to the sky islands because it's not a way that we've shown or that they've shown in the past uh but I can say I experienced a new way to reach the sky islands that is all I can say is this like an embargo, like a limitation that they? Yes, this is a limitation okay. they set, and like what I can and cannot talk about in my game. Gotcha. Session. Okay, that's fascinating because in the first game you couldn't get to the Sky Islands at all. So <laughs> hearing that there's a new way is really exciting. a new way that you have not seen in a trailer. Okay. <laughs> is is Ultra Hand like like I know we've talked about using it to like make vehicles and stuff is it like magnesis also like can you just telekinesis stuff around yeah just pretty much any inanimate object like well, not any but like a lot of inanimate objects um so there human was a, beings there no human beings because those <laughs> no, would be animate or, objects may, maybe corpses <laughs> yeah i guess so so there was a puzzle that on like i think it was like the third island of my second demo where it was like there were two pools of water and there was like a concrete slab blocking the water from flowing down into the next one and i had to use ultra hand to lift the concrete slab which let water flow down into it but then it ended up falling and like another waterfall replenished it and i was trying to get the treasure chest that was at the bottom of the thing so what i ended up doing was i lifted it up let it fall then i used recall in order to have it go back up and then using Ultra Hand on a nearby log, I slid it into the brackets that were on there, fused <laughs> it together with uh, Ultra Hand, and then it held up on the uh, the brackets. So it was because it was evenly distributed. Because if you have it too heavy or off balance, the 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 uh, connection will actually break on Ultra Hand. So this is too much, Brian. This is too much. So that let <laughs> that that made it so the water kept flowing down to the bottom pool and let me get the treasure chest. So like that, it's. Stuff that's gonna break your brain at in certain times, like in, and there's another one where it was like it was a platform that like it, it was almost like one of the shrines in Breath of the Wild, where like you had like a little tiny like kind of statue, and then it it just looked like the platform that was in front of you, and you had to rotate it based on which way you wanted it to go. And basically, anytime you have something selected with Ultra Hand, you can rotate it with d-pad so like you know left and right using left and right on the d-pad and then up and down or forward and backward with the up and down d-pad and so you can do that with the the stat the the platform that i'm talking about as well so you select the statue and you can use the gyro controls but i did not i used the d-pad and that uh made it so it rotated and um i jumped on when i got the platform over to me so like the island i was trying to get for the video watchers or it's like over here I'm over here. I had to rotate the platform towards me, jumped on, and I was like, okay, I'll just use Ultra Hand to rotate the platform back. But it was like, oh, if you're on this platform, you can't use Ultra Hand on the statue. So mm, okay. what I ended up having to do is use Recall on the statue, which put it back where it originally started, and it got me over to the island. Hell yeah. So it's like all these different interactions that you have to take into account. 
Well, I'm I'm laughing at myself because you're talking about like uh, stemming the flow of water to solve a puzzle, and that is it's so stupid. But I'm just like, we we can control the flow of water. What does that mean? What are the ramifications? <laughs> I didn't do that in Breath of the Wild. It's like, oh my gosh, it's so funny the little things that are getting me excited about this game. There was another one. The one that like got me really excited was there was a puzzle in the first demo where it was just the first demo was basically like, hey, here are the new mechanics. Like, go experiment with them. And so there was one where it was like, okay, well, there's a, a mine cart and it's upside down next to some tracks. And so naturally I wanted to use ultra hand, put it on the tracks, turn it right side up. And then I wanted to get to the other side of the tracks and it was kind of suspended in midair. The tracks were, and it led to like a higher up platform. So I was like mm-hmm. getting ready to put like the fan on the back of the mine cart. And I looked and I was like, oh, w- the right track is like missing the entire middle segment of the, the track. So I was like, all right, well, the fan, if I try to do that, it's just going to fall down and it's not going to work. So I took rockets and attached it to the mine cart and it made it so it basically brute forced it. Like it even hopped the rails when I was going on it. I was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And I, it ended up like jumping the rail and I landed on the, the platform I was trying for. But I was like pretty dicey proposition. And I was like, OK, well, that was cool. And then I, I, I cast I keep saying what I, I want to say cast recall. But like you're, I, mean, I guess you could call it like a magic spell. But, like, I used recall on the minecart, and it went right back to the track where it started. So if I wanted to do anything else with it, I could. But then, like, afterwards, the thing that got me so excited was comparing notes with other people. in Because there was, like, five or six other media members at my session. And we all, like, some of them did it the same, a similar way as I did. Other people did it completely different, where there was, like, a hook. And they took the hook, ultra-handed it to the minecart attached the hook to the one rail that was fully intact and then attached a fan or a rocket to the back of that and that like brought acted like almost like a gondola up to the the next (laughs) flat and it's like this is just such like basic stuff i can't wait to see like kind of the the ways that people on youtube or like you guys end up like breaking the physics of this game putting a lot of faith in us brian (laughs) that's why i mentioned youtube first (laughs) Dang. Oh, this so, like, are so you going to play this? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question about Ascend, which is one of the abilities. Yes. Where if you have a ceiling above you, you shoot upward and swim through the surface and emerge on the other side, and you can decide if you want to like exit. Yeah. Yeah, exit or not. Um, I, that, that little load screen that happens, like when you're swimming through the surface... Does that change based on like the length of of distance that you're traveling or like yeah, what's what was that? I mean, I like wasn't inside a whole bunch of structures, so I only used ascend a few times, but it seemed like it was directly related to how far you were ascending. Okay. Cuz like there was one time where it was like, all right, he's just I'm just going to go on top of like this this uh like pergola and it was like uh, instantaneous like all right i just like shot through like this this plywood that was my roof basically what's the word you use oh did pergola? you not even go through the swimming one no it did not even go to, like pergola like i don't know like okay. an outdoor oh. like patio thing okay i'm, I'm glad you asked kyle because i didn't want to seem stupid from not knowing what a pergola is that's i mean i i knew what it was i just thought maybe you guys didn't i was <laughs> oh, <Victoria okay>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I well, thanks for helping i didn't thanks just google the word pergola. i thought it was the same thing as a gondola but i don't know <laughs> Pergola. Did you see, uh, and maybe this is like, you know, they did have some heavy restrictions on exactly what you could talk about and stuff, which I understand. 
But um, did you see anything like uh, dungeon esque or like um areas like when you were unlocked? Did you unlock those abilities in the same way you do Breath of the Wild, where you had to go into a um a little dungeon? I forget. I can't believe I can't forgot what the term is. What are they called? The shrines? little dungeons. The shrines. Did you see anything like shrines or anything like that? I did not. Uh, okay. and I had the abilities unlocked from the start, so I didn't like have to unlock them. Like they, it started a little bit into the game. It seemed right. Like... You didn't start. You didn't see the opening cutscene. Correct. Anything. You just like gotcha. Okay. Yeah, cool. this was a hundred percent like gameplay and mechanics focus. Like I got like mm-hmm. zero story and very little like voices at all. Gotcha. What did you hear uh, music wise? It, it seemed kind of par for what we got with Breath of the Wild, where it was like, at least the part I was seeing, where it was like kind of like serene, almost like meditative style music. But then again, I was not fighting Ganondorf or like any like serious threats to uh, to my life. So was was the like the standard combat music? Was that different? Like, did you recognize it? I'm pretty sure it was different. Okay. What what are some of the craziest things that happen? Like it's just a result of trying to stick things together. Like, I mean the uh, the the shield fan was probably my favorite. I also decided I was just gonna like put a box onto my shield. <laughs> it didn't like a, like a, a wooden crate, and it didn't really do anything. But it looked real dumb, like having Link run around with a shield <laughs> on his back, and it's like just a wooden crate. I don't know if like if the shield broke, if it would have like dropped whatever item was inside that crate, but that would be really funny mm-hmm. if it did. I didn't have enough encounters to to have that happen. Does Link have like a sister that you can shrink down and put in that box that you carry on your back? Is this a uh, <laughs> reference to to Eco or what? <laughs> no, it's a reference to the anime Demon Slayer. Oh, okay. <laughs> Someone will get it. Someone in the comments will be like, I know what you're talking about. That that was a pergola moment for me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, um, I guess it does do like a little swimming animation when you do ascend, but it's like in the air. Like it, it, because Link swims upward from the moment you hit the button. Um, I just mostly want to know if it like brought up that little green loading screen thing Hmm. every time. I think that's only for like really long ascensions. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, like just so you did you use the travel medallion to fast travel a little bit, right? Uh, did I even use it? I I remember placing okay. it like as I island hopped. I almost fell off one time because like I was using Ultra Hand. I tried to build like that little like stone bird glider that we saw in the uh in the trailers, and I um I guess I didn't calculate physics correctly because i put the fans like diagonal so it would go up and like forward and i was i I guess that was not the way to do it because as soon as it started it just like lifted off and then flipped immediately and like sent (laughs) me falling and i was like oh well i'm gonna get up and thankfully i had the paraglider and like i glided over and grabbed the wall and climbed right back up but i was like that was a close one and that was kind of where i realized that like i'm gonna just murder link in so many fun and <laughs> spectacular ways by accident god i can't wait. well the, the question I... I was kind of getting at was uh is loading times i'm kind of curious if they're comparable or better if you know what i mean because that was kind of like i honestly really didn't have any sort of technical problems with breath of the wild like even some of the frame rate drops in the the dense areas i didn't really feel like were a, a major problem but like i did you know deep into the game fast traveling i was like uh this is loading. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wonder, I, I remember in the original or in the, I guess the breath of the wild, there was a significant 
well, to me, it felt significant difference between handheld play and docked play. And I always play in handheld play and I ran into virtually like no issues. And I remember there being reports of like the hitches were happening in docked mode because, you know, it was outputting a higher resolution or whatever to TVs. And I wonder if it'll be the same for uh, for Tears of the Kingdom where handheld is a little bit more smooth. Or I, or maybe they've maybe they've I did not get it, I get to play it in handheld. I only no, got to play right. it in okay. docked with a pro controller. Was it a special, super fancy Zelda pro controller? Was the I don't think the hmm I don't remember what it was the, the Animal Crossing. The, it was the the uh, Tears of the Kingdom OLED that I was playing on, but I don't oh, know if the pro controller cool. was any any different. Now that you mention it, um, I was pretty mm. just focused on the screen. <laughs> uh, but w- two Fair. other things that were kind of like little tidbits that people would like to know probably is that uh uh, let me get let me get my embargo information here um (laughs) keep that off camera okay i'm sure they don't want it shared there you go there is a feature in the game that streamlines building with ultra hand hmm and then uh, templates maybe something like that also korok seeds are back as they should be (laughs) yeah i can say that i I wonder what we're gonna get this time for Getting every Korok seed. I I read Brian's written preview of this and, and saw that you mentioned Korok seeds. And for some reason, my first thought was like, imagine some horrible reality where it's like, if you have save data from getting all the Korok seeds from like the first one, then it like <laughs> unlocks it. Like just some some hell where it's like, yeah, you have to get all, you know, 2000 Korok seeds now to get anything. To get the good ending. Real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> poop. They end up being mm-hmm. the thing that actually takes down Ganondorf. <laughs> you have to free. Them. I have I have a, a speculative question. I'm sure this wasn't in your preview, Brian, but I just want to poll you guys. Do we think the story is going to be told via memories again, or do we think it's going to be more active storytelling? I think it's going to be more active, but I think there will definitely be memories as they look back because there's been, there's been scenes that look pretty much like flashbacks, right? In some of these trailers. Well, I remember talking to Anuma about that for like for the Breath of the Wild cover story back in the day. And it's like it, it seemed like it was like like hand in hand with the sort of approach of like you can do this in any order and any sort of like however you want to do it, right? You wanna you can take any dungeon in any order, you can skip all the dungeons, however you want to do this, this is your game to play it as you want, and that includes the story, right? Like you can see as much as or as little of the story of as you want in any order you want. And like so I think it will be kind of memories again, just because that worked well if they wanted to sort of keep it that way where you could tackle it in any order you know but uh that's a good question but it does seem like this link has his memories intact whereas link from breath of the wild i mean it's the same link but back then he did not have his memories because of the shrine of the resurrection yeah i do i there's there's so much speculation about the story online and i almost worry for those people that like i don't i i think it's going to be more straightforward than they want it to be <laughs> you know i think there's so many theories online about the ouroboros and what does that mean and the sort of idea of uh, repeating futures in the past and all this stuff and it's like i, I guys i i bet it's going to be pretty straightforward i, I mean, it's, you know i think it's <laughs> we'll see. I, I honestly I hope not. think it's going to involve skyward sword in some way just because this story appears to be i mean and again this is not from my hands on preview this is from like digging up tr- clues in the uh in the trailers and everything, but the the story seems to be about fixing the master sword. Like we've seen the master swords kind of like 
broken or decayed or corrupted or something in the trailers. And I think that this story is going to be about like forging a new master sword or something. And also think about like the sky stuff. There's a lot, there's a lot of parallels in here. And uh, yeah, I honestly think that there will be some sort of either at least a parallel, if not like a full on, like, yeah. And also take into account that's the game they decided to remaster for switch, not wind waker or twilight princess. Yeah. I I mean, I think it was on a recent all things Nintendo, Brian, I think I was telling you, you should probably play Skyward Sword before this comes out. Yeah, let me get right on that. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. You got like a, what a yeah, month. This Skyward Sword copy I'm holding in my hand uh, is sealed. Oh, you guys, it's a good game. game. Play it. I, I want, I'm gonna play it. You got like 12 days. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I wasn't planning to play beforehand. I think I'm probably go back afterwards. You know, but even even Breath of the Wild had a good bit of Skyward Sword stuff in it. Like you can find. A lot of stuff from Skyward Sword in the world, you know. So I mean, you could find a lot of stuff from Ocarina and Twilight Princess as well, and a little bit of Wind Waker. Yeah, but but Skyward Swords were like a little more overt. Like yeah. one of the really late game things you could find is the the statue from the beginning of Skyward Sword, like underground, and like that kind of stuff is cool, man. I, I hope there's more stuff like that. I, I I would love to see more. I want to the Twilight Realm. I really want to play a role here. I I haven't seen a lot of hints towards that, but like I feel like that's sort of like unexplored stuff for Zelda outside of Twilight Princess. I love that that world. Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild almost serve as like the culmination of all the timelines, right? Like cuz they all yeah. diverge after Ocarina of Time into these three distinct timelines and then Breath of the Wild at least officially is like the convergence of all of them. And, you know, tears, of the kingdom is the sequel to that. So theoretically yeah, it's going yeah. to, I mean, to this point conclude and culminate the story of all of those, all those games, I guess, Kyle, to your point about like the twilight realm, there is the kind of recurring Zelda idea of like the dark world in like, you know, like the past or twilight princess or whatever, yeah, and this I think that was a thing a lot of people thought this was going to be at first is like in like the like way back like 2019 trailer you see Hyrule Castle lifting up and we're like whoa is this going to be like Dark World Hyrule the upside down <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be exactly. a pink bunny in this one it's going to oh. happen so I do and I it does feel like it there was a lot of like darker tone like I don't know I I will I will be interested like if they kind of touch on that a lot that's also yeah. often. I mean, like the Ocarina of Time Majora's Mask thing of like when you go back to the world, it's like a little bit darker or go back to the mechanics or whatever. Yeah. I, hey, I, Dark Zelda is my favorite Zelda. I like, I like a Zelda that takes itself very seriously. That's what I love. So here's hoping it leans in that direction. Yeah. No jokes. I don't want any jokes in <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom. No, no funny out. characters. No, everyone's groups. very serious. No if grooses. I see tingle, Get out of here, it's on groose. site. <laughs> Nobody wants groose. Okay, actually, though, serious tingle is the scariest thing you could ever, <laughs> ever imagine. <laughs> a guy that dark g- tingle genuinely dark believes dark he's tangle. Tangle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just dilapidated green outfit. He's just like, look, this is all I have to wear. It doesn't reflect my personality. It's just all I had in my wardrobe. He's wearing like monster part outfits. Uh, yes, fingers crossed. Awesome. Well, thank you, gents, for for talking Tears of the Kingdom with me. Shay, thanks for sharing all of your notes and uh, and scouring your your notebook, uh, answering our weird questions. Uh, We're going to take a break, and then Matt Miller and Marcus Stewart are going to join us to talk Jedi Survivor. All right, we'll be right back right after this. 
And we are back. Welcome back to the Game Informer Show. Uh, we've got a couple new folks with us now. Uh, Marcus Stewart, how you doing? Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, we missed you in the first half of the show. I could but... feel it. I... Yeah, you could. Okay. <laughs> I could feel your longing for me. Is that? Yeah, it's you probably sensed it in the force. A disturbance yeah. in the force. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, yeah. I'm not there. Something's wrong. Yeah. Uh, and joining us, special guest. Well, not special guest, but you just haven't been on in a while, Miller. Yeah, I've been busy. Our editor-in-chief. Our busy, busy editor-in-chief, Matt Miller. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot. Yeah, what have you been doing, Matt? You've been, like, managing a major publication? with I don't of know. I've mostly something? just been sitting around <laughs> playing video games, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's That's all we ever do. That's all we ever do. <laughs> I love that response, by the way, whenever I talk to another, like, adult. You talk, talk to a kid, and they're like, oh, that, that job sounds cool. You talk to another adult, and they're like, oh, you just play video games all day, right? <laughs> yeah, like, you, get, you definitely sure. feel judged. Oh, yeah. yeah. Instant oh, yeah. <laughs> Instant judgment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's all good. Well, we're very glad to have you on the show again. Miller, you've been playing Jedi Survivor. You reviewed it for us. Uh, what do you, What do you think about it? Yeah, man, I uh, I love this game. Uh, I thought it was great. I gave it a nine two five, so right up there in the in our kind of uh, must play sort of games of the year. I think it's a a sequel in every sense of the word. I don't think I would advise somebody to be like, oh, I saw sort of like middling impressions of the prior game, so I just didn't play it. But I'm gonna jump right in on this one. Actually, I don't know that I'd recommend you doing that here. I think it's it's a good game to like play the prior one first. There's a lot of story grounding, and um, it is a very story-driven and cinematic sort of an experience. So it would be a little bit like saying, I'll just watch Empire Strikes Back, even though I never watched A New Hope. <laughs> right? I mean, I guess you could do it, but yeah. you're missing out a little bit. It also continues a new video game tradition of the recap that plays beforehand being borderline useless. <laughs> I'm like, okay, thanks. It just says some a montage of some characters that this doesn't really explain anything. Yeah, I mean the 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 previously on uh, that is that that sort of new montage tradition that that you you're you're describing. It does feel like it's relevant to somebody who like had played the first game. And you're like, oh, yeah, there was that character and this other character. And then at the end, they did this thing, right? Yeah. Okay, let's go. But for somebody who <laughs> hadn't played uh, Fallen Order, you'd be like, what? Who? When? <laughs> you know, You know, it's funny. I made it about, I'd say, 50% through Fallen Order. Yeah. And in preparation of this game, I was like, well, I need to replay it because I've, you know, I've heard, like, the ending is really cool and there's some really cool story beats. Yeah. And then Marcus decided to kind of lead the charge on the super replay sure. of playing through Fallen Order. I was like, I'm just going to watch their playthrough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that's what I did. And I was like, okay, I got what I needed. Yeah, there you go. That would be a perfect way to have to have that experience. But even if you only have like 20 minutes, at least watch like a YouTube recap, yeah. like an actual in-depth one. Because, um, yeah, like you said, it's definitely uh, needed. I think it is. Uh, with that said, this is a game that improves upon and adds more of everything that was good in the first one. Uh, and then it does a bunch of other stuff too. It's just, uh, you know, like I, I, I think it's one that someone could point to as like, this is the way to do a sequel well. Um, it's very clear that Respawn had some, some great ideas with Fallen Order. I really liked that game, by the way. I, I, 
even with its its uh, faults, uh, there were parts of that game that were like, oh, this was frustrating, or I didn't like this particular style of gameplay. I didn't like sliding down the, the tree, uh, you know, like those kinds of things. But um, it, it was one that I really liked. But here, Respawn has looked at the at both the, the critical feedback, I'm sure the fan feedback has done a lot of their own analysis of their own game. And it's very, very clear that the second game is, uh, um, from a development perspective, feels like a response to those concerns as much as it is like the next part of the story. They, um, it, it's a bigger game. It's much, it's much bigger, I would say, and longer game to play through. Uh, it has a lot more customization elements, both in terms of cosmetic stuff as well as uh, just play style. There's more lightsaber stances for how you confront combat. Um, there's more, um, uh, per there's a perk system now that lets you kind of change mm -hmm. up your preferred way to approach combat. Um, and they've uh, they've also put a lot of work into making in making you feel invested in the game world, right? So you have a, you have a little bit more of a home base this time. You still have your ship, the same ship that you're flying around the galaxy in, but you now have like a there's like a cantina uh, that you come back to. That you're you're um, it's it maybe would be an exaggeration to say that it's completely uh, renovating it or anything like that. But you are bringing in new people who are going to come to the cantina. You're building a garden up on the roof. You're filling up an aquarium with fish, with weird that aliens. That's so fish. unexpected, too. Yeah. Are you, are you assembling the cantina band? Can you do that? You you do, actually. Not a, <laughs> it, I don't want to oversell it, but you do. One of the people you can find, it starts out that there's like an old jukebox uh, in the in the cantina that's like not that great. But you find this this person that's like an experimental sound engineer who's traveling around with their droid. Uh, and you recruit them to come to the cantina. And once they're there, they're up on stage. The droid's up on stage, like playing songs. And you can actually get both as uh, findables in the in the world, like in treasure chests, but also um, one of the vendors send, uh, sells additional musical tracks that you can add to their repertoire and uh, and play different music in the canteen. And so there's this whole there's a whole playlist of weird Star Wars pop music and rock music and experimental music that's kind of strange i just want the story to establish that cal kestis is responsible for the the classic cantina band like he's the one that brought oh. them together <laughs> that'd be amazing it's he not music to the it's galaxy. not that cantina band but it is a, it is a uh, was... <laughs> cantina band music i i love that idea marcus because it would be like you know that scene in solo a star wars story where they're like oh you're by yourself solo it's like they watch that and they're like <laughs> yeah. that was really terrible let's do a worse version of that yeah, yeah. Cal <laughs> bring the band together so i'm glad it's just uh what you described now. so they they did a lot of a lot of stuff to kind of help you feel more invested in the game world and in your character um they also another interesting change is that like that core there's kind of a core planet uh that you spend I don't know, a lot of time on. Uh, Kobo. Kobo, exactly, which is kind of, a, it's sort of Old West inspired. And this is where your cantina is, this little small settlement. And you're branching out to that, on that planet to different locales uh, that you have to go on missions for and things like that. 
And you go off to some other planets like Jeddah and, and there's some time on Coruscant and some other places that I won't spoil. So you do go off world. It's not all there, but a lot of it is on this, this one planet. And it's sort of like a semi-open world space uh, with, uh, with sort of Metroid-like elements where you're, you know, like there, you find places that, oh, I can't go there yet. There's a, there's a green energy barrier there. So I can't pass that yet. And then you go get, sometime later, you get a special power. You come back and you can go through the green energy barrier. It's funny. I was talking to Jesse Vitelli from Prima Games and he he had a similar, he was like, you know, Kobo's kind of just like its own Metroid Prime game. It is. It is um, with like all the stuff that you get to see there. Yeah, they. It's. It, it, I almost think if I'd heard about it extensively ahead of time, I'd be a little bit. I would have been a little worried. Like I don't know how you're going to do it, but it actually works just fine. Uh, because you're right, it is like on Kobo. It's kind of its own thing, and then the other areas um, are much more like the levels you had in the prior game. Right, not in a bad way. Just I mean, they're 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 relatively linear. Uh, with some some offshoot optional challenges, sure, shortcuts, all shortcuts, that. but it's still you know think like uh, uh, the kind of levels that you had in the previous game, um, and then you come back to Kobo. The only thing that I didn't love about that was that because there's this big focus on Kobo, you you do sometimes feel, or at least I did, that you're like you're ping ponging back and forth, right? You're going to Jeddah, you're coming back to Kobo. You're going to this one moon, you're coming back to Kobo. Uh, and that's, I guess it's necessary, right? Because they, they want you to come back to the cantina and see the people there and turn in the, the currencies that you've gathered so that you can get rewards and, um, and go on new missions there. But I don't know, there, by the end, I was, uh, I was finding that to, to not be my favorite part of the game. But the actual semi-open world itself is really cool. Like a lot of cool sort of interesting optional challenges to uncover um, puzzles to, to take on sort of like um, traversal puzzles that you're having to figure out. And uh, and beyond that, I, I mean, it's weird to make this as the, as one of the last things to say, but like I would say that the, the maybe the biggest win for the game is how much it feels like just a great Star Wars experience. It's a really fun story. These are, they, they let the characters go in fun directions. Uh, they introduce some new characters, but you also get, I think most of the, the, most if not all of the characters you met in the first game are kind of back and there's things that have happened it's clear that a, a significant stretch of time presumably years has passed since the end of the last one and the um the band's kind of broken up a little bit and so you're you're kind of finding people again um and talking to them but you're also uh, inviting sort of new folks into the mix apparently there's a comic that bridges that gap a little bit sure but I, I haven't read it. I, I haven't read that either. Um, but it, I don't think you would need to worry about that. I mean, it feels like as you start as you start out the story, um, if you knew what happened in the first game, it they do a, a very natural job of of making it feel like, oh, time has passed. This is where Cal is at. And it's fun then to rediscover where all the other familiar characters are at and what's going on for them. And the, you know, the story that is told, I don't know. It it it, it feels. Uh, I think in the review I used the word meandering. Like the 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 plot takes a little while to coalesce, um, and it, it does feel like the characters are sort of falling into their adventure rather than they're actually getting. Uh, they have like this very specific goal right from the beginning, and that's where what they're going to do. 
I do. I did feel like a little in Kobo where you go there to meet a former character. Like that's basically the main reason you go there. You yeah. end up there, and I was kind of like surprising a lot of amount of stuff happening here considering i just came here to meet this one guy yes. like it's a little bit yeah. like that which is yeah. like okay it's kind of like an old school jrpg the way you kind of recruit party members in those or it seems like most of them just sort of you do one thing for them and they're like yeah i guess i'll follow you for ever and i don't have any real <laughs> stakes other than helping you <laughs> i don't think it's it's quite that bad i do think that uh your core characters are invested both in in the lead character in Cal, right? Like there's a little bit of a family dynamic that they're playing around with there. And the other characters you meet that get recruited to the cantina, they're not like party members, right? They're not like running around with you and stuff. They're more like, here's this fisherman that I met. I'm going to invite him to bring fish to the aquarium, right? It's that kind of thing. But but the 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 melodrama and the, um, the character moments and these sort of like... Uh, exciting uh moments of of uh of betrayal or or uh friendship or uh you know insight into ancient his ancient history of the star wars and the jedi universe all that stuff is very present and makes for an experience that like for anybody who is a star wars fan you'd be like yeah yeah this feels good um and that's backed up by getting to play a character who i mean they nailed it like they nailed like this is this is my in my imagination what it would be like to be a Jedi with force powers and to be able to like run across a uh, what seems to be like an impossible path of cliffs and uh, hanging platforms and things like that and somehow get to the other side and then you know watch out for inclines though Cal can run along a wall but he can't do like a forty right. degree incline for those, those are hey, those, those are calf burners right there right. you know. I do, Matt. I'm curious with your experience. I don't know. Yeah. I'm playing on PlayStation Five. I'm like four yeah. or five hours in. I will say I have been hitting some hitchiness. Like yeah. it's never been enough to really break the game or be mm. a big problem. Yeah. But just like animations are a little funky, and like there's clipping, and it's just like a little off. Like consistently. Mm. I, I don't. Did you run in the same thing? I don't know what platform you played on. You know, I I played on PlayStation, and I found it to be okay. pretty. Uh, my playthrough and the additional time I spent after my playthrough were relatively smooth. I did have some a uh, couple of crashes, uh, but they were um, they were telegraphed from the the review notes. I mean, it's not unusual yeah. for uh, anybody else out there to understand that there there are things like that that we take into account that uh, as long as they are relatively minor that a developer can share with us like this is a known issue it's going to be resolved in a patch that's happening at this time and we try to account for that right uh, yeah, so there mm -hmm. were there were some things like that that uh, weren't major issues i had i i think i've seen some of the animation kind of uh that's what it is like mainly animation and it never it's never like i'm getting stuck or it's breaking the game it's just yeah. like i'll finish off a lightsaber flurry and then like you know, Cal's ankle will break and then suddenly yeah. <laughs> realign. It's like, oh, I guess he's okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen a little bit of that. I think I, I will say something I didn't have the, the um, I, I didn't go into great detail with in the review. The animation stuff really did impress me in the game just through the pure breadth of, of stuff that you were getting to see. They've gone to a lot of trouble to create a lot of unique combat animations for the different enemies that you're going to fight. So that it, that it adds a sense of realism that it's like it's different when you're fighting 
this kind of monster versus versus a stormtrooper versus a mm-hmm. droid, let's say, and they each have kind of unique ways that you your your weapons interact with them. Um, and so there's a little bit of uh, with that many animations, I think it would almost be a surprise to me if there weren't a few things that were a little bit, uh, you know, kind of got off. But I I'm like you, Kyle. It, it rarely, if ever, impacted my experience negatively yeah just a little distracting is what it came down to yeah i was just gonna say on on that subject i played on pc and ran into more issues which is kind of natural on pc there's so many different variables at play um i didn't have any crashes or anything like that i did have and it seemed to be mostly in the first like four hours it's kind of stopped for the most part but about 50 percent of my cutscenes in like the first four hours uh, at some point in the cutscene, characters would start repeating their lines twice. Oh, how weird! Uh. Which is uh, <laughs> that took me out of the experience. I was still able to like figure no, out. No, they what explain was that in an episode of the Clone Wars, dude. Like that's canon. <laughs> but, no, I'm just kidding. I have no idea. And I'm not, I'm hoping that will be resolved with like the, there's a big patch coming. Yeah. I didn't see it in their note in their patch notes, but you know that stuff can be affected by like, oh, this one line of code made this happen. You know. So. Yeah. But I mean. I kind of forgave all of that because I was having so much fun playing the game. Like, I think there are. I think the first game actually, it didn't grab me as much as this one did. I think this game's like really confident and like knows what it is from the get go. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the first game kind of struggled with like, okay, how do we do Star Wars and also like this kind of Dark Soulsy thing and kind of Metroid thing. And I feel like this game, just from the jump, it is really solid. And I think like. I was just instantly grabbed by it. And so when those hitches came up, I was like, okay, it is what it is. I just want to see what happens next. You yeah. Know? yeah. Whereas in the first game, it was a little more debilitating uh, towards the experience. Um, but Marcus, I interrupted you uh, a couple minutes ago. What were you going to say? Well, I wanted to know, cause my, my biggest criticism of the first game, and this was refreshed when I replayed it for the super replay last year was just the, the level design and, and the map was more confusing than i would have liked in it yeah like the first game isn't despite being a metroid game it's not the most backtracker friendly yeah and mm-hmm. like you know they they would send you into a world and then you you know you run through it and they're like okay now you got to go all the way back to your ship so you can <laughs> leave and you're like i don't think there's enough shortcuts here to make this not a pain or if i yeah. want to come back later with a new ability it's like you got to go like three floors in you're like yeah, Is there- yeah. Can I just yeah. fast travel or anything? Is that better this time? Like, is the end is the map better this time? It. it I am happy to to tell you, Mark, it is that that is all much better this time. Oh, thank God! It is not. It is not a hundred percent resolved. I would say <laughs> at like I do still find that the complexity of that three D map, and I don't know. I might argue the complexity of almost any three D map that has big complicated levels when you have a you know a mapping system. It's hard to do well. Um, it, yeah. it it looks cool. It looks cool. But it's just it's hard to it's it can be hard to navigate. I think it's better than it was last time. Um, but the addition of fast travel between meditation points is a huge win. Oh yeah, uh, that's the one thing I was screaming about in the first game. No, that's, like that. that's a that's hundred percent there. It it uh, for and if you don't want it, if you're like some purist that like I like backtracking through this whole thing, then sure, you can do that. Um, in a lot of cases, they they um, there are more shortcuts now, and it's it's more um, it's easier to get back to the beginning than it used to be in most cases. 
um, if you didn't want to fast travel, but you can also hop to a meditation point and just kind of uh, do it that way. So like navigation across the board in that sense is, is stronger, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Are, are lightsabers deadlier now? Is dismemberment <laughs> more of a thing this time or is it still kind of like a selective sword slash baton depending I, on who you're fighting <laughs> i will say that you know one of the things i quite liked about the game that a lot of of these kind of action games don't do uh you know they they'll, you sometimes have the weird excuse where it's like i am the big bad villain and i'm stripping away all your powers and now you got to start over right like or whatever right. their weird excuses they don't have that here so when you start out you have a bunch of awesome i'm a jedi knight force powers and lightsaber tricks at your disposal. You you have your double jump flip thing that you took that took forever for you to get in the last game. Um, you have your for, force push and pull and all those kind of things uh, right from the start. Um, and your lightsaber, I think, right from the the jump is deadlier. You're still there's still plenty of times that you're hacking away at guys, um, but they I think they've put a greater focus in the combat on defense. And like needing to optimize, like if you if you block, if you block this person's attack and you lower their block meter first before you go into like hack at them, or you dodge out of their out of the way of an unblockable attack and you come at them from the side after your dodge, like that's how you're going to get your kills. Um, and the, I mean, just little little pro tip if you're if you're starting on the game, just get that thing unlocked right away like get that defense stuff figured out right away because it it is not an easy game i was playing on this sort of uh standard difficulty and while i wouldn't like stack it up like it's not like a from software souls game in terms of difficulty here uh later bosses in particular and, and even some of the later like just big enemies if you don't know how to defend yourself you're going to die um because there's a lot of things that hit you very hard. There's some things later in the game that are one-hit kills, no matter what your uh, health is at. And it's just, it's going to be a much more satisfying combat experience if you, like, figure out how to, like, do those parries and, you know, how to recognize when they're going to flash red and you're going to dodge out of the way. Um, You just figure that out right away. Some enemies will flash blue, and you can use the force to... Uh, fight them in a new way. Yeah. I'm not sure if that was in the first game. I don't remember that being in the first game if it was. No. For instance, there's like a large animal that will try to roll over on you yeah. and when they kind of go they kind of telegraph it by they'll flash blue for a second and before they roll over you, if you hit, if you force push them, you'll like knock them over on their side and they'll become vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember that. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't think okay. I really okay. liked that. So, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're still... If the broader question is like, do lightsabers always instantly kill? The answer is no. Uh, you still. But I, I do have to think more limbs are flying off though. I, yeah, honestly, yeah. Like I think because yeah, no limbs I think, flew off before. Yeah, I think Disney finally acquiesced and was like, "All right, fine, you can cut off some stormtrooper arms." <laughs> well, <laughs> and I would say that it is a you know, um, they do some some thoughtful cutting to not show gruesome things happening. But there are a lot of scenes where it's like, well, that guy just got his head chopped off, right? Like, <laughs> I didn't see it happen, but like, I see the top of his head over here, and I see his body's over there. So we know what happened there, right? Um, 
it, it's it's a game that feels like it's pushing at the boundaries a little bit of that T rating sometimes. But um, you know, one other thing I'll add, Marcus, in in, res uh, in response to your question, is that after you beat the game, it also unlocks a new mode where everything is deadlier, where you are deadlier, like your lightsaber does a lot more damage and often one hit kill stuff, but so does everything else. And so it, I, I sense that that was a, a nod to people who maybe, like yourself, were looking for a slightly different Star Wars fantasy, right? Who were looking for like, I got a light. I got like a laser sword here. I want it to like destroy stuff. Yeah, like you just want it to feel like a lightsaber. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, you know, as a first standard playthrough, if you had it that way, I, I can understand why maybe they wouldn't have done that uh, because it would, for one thing, potentially really shorten the game. It also maybe make it really hard because there's a lot of things in this game that have light lightsabers or other deadly weapons that would take take you out pretty quick. But I, I like that compromise to be like, okay, you've played through it now. If you want to try it now with this much more sort of lethal understanding of combat, you can go do that. Um, it's kind of neat. Okay, that's cool. Awesome. Uh, anything else you want to touch on, Matt, before we move on? I don't think so. I, uh, I mean, the big takeaway for me was that it was like a really, this is a great Star Wars game. I mean, it's, it's we all have our... Um, rose-tinted glasses on about the Star Wars games we we grew up we playing, and maybe that's different for different people. Um, but if I'm, uh, just speaking for myself, if I'm honest with myself, most of those games that I loved growing up are not as great anymore, right? Like most of the Star Wars games, like <laughs> probably would not hold up to... Except for Shadows of the Empire. That game's still Which is perfect, perfect. and has no problem. Jedi Power Battle. Yeah, yeah. Jedi yeah, Power Battle is a perfect game. But barring those... Uh, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those Star Wars games just aren't aren't uh, maybe what they once were, and and so just on an objective level, this is definitely up there among the best Star Wars interactive experiences you can have. I mean, you, you, it hits something that we all, anybody who's even remotely a fan of Star Wars, has that fantasy of like, oh, I want to be a Jedi, I want to have Force powers, I want a lightsaber, and it it hits that, um, and it tells a cool story in that universe that feels true to the fiction. Um, plays around with some really cool themes and ideas within that fiction, including what I often find to be one of the most uh, interesting dynamics that that Star Wars stories sometimes play with, which is the idea of like love and attachment and what that means and why both are different from one another and also how they can be dangerous and how they can like cause you to make decisions that are different than you would have made otherwise and you know, uh, it's very, that's very central to the story of like Anakin and Padme and all that kind of stuff that is part of the Skywalker saga. But here they they leverage that concept and that theme in a really cool way and have something interesting to say about it, which I really liked. So um, I think it's uh, I think it's one people should check out. Uh, check the first game out first, or watch someone uh, someone playing it like the Super Replay uh, that we got. But um, but find a way to like get up to speed. And then and then dive into this because it's 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 a great time. Yeah, just closing thoughts I wanted to share real quick. As I feel like I am, unfortunately, I grew up with the Star Wars, right? And it was my favorite IP for a very long time. In 2023, I'm largely checked out of Star Wars, pretty much besides Mandalorian. 
but I tweeted about this. Jedi Survivor kind of challenges that disinterest. I think its worlds are really well realized. And I think my favorite part of the game is the exploration and the traversal. I think all of the platforming challenges are... Whenever I'm doing that, the game is at its best, in my opinion. And the puzzles... like I, I think if you took out the combat out of this game, I would still really, really like it. Like, if I was just, like, a smuggler who was, you know, wall running and getting in and getting out and, you know, or or somebody like a cartographer charting new planets, like it would still be a really fun game, which I think speaks to like the individual strengths of each of those kind of pillars of the experience. Um, but, but yeah. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's move on. Marcus, you've been playing horizon. Uh, what's the DLC called? The frozen shore burning shores, burning shores, the the frozen burning shore, the frozen burning frozen was the last DLC, the icy hot DLC. This this continues their, their tradition of, of temperature based DLCs. Mm. You know, (laughs) I think they've sort of expended that. Windy, right? Windy mountains will be the third. Tepid. tepid Yeah. It would have to just be tepid, like right in the middle, like the totally (laughs) temperate shores. Room temperature. <laughs> yeah. Which is, hey, that's about how I That's pretty horizon. nice. The yeah. mild mountains. <laughs> how is it, Marcus? What I, I know I've seen I was watching uh Min Max cohort Janet Garcia play this game on stream and I saw she had a big like a big skiff that she was you know riding waves on. I know that's a big feature, but kinda like what what's going on in this DLC? How is it? I think it's pretty fun it's more of that game as you might expect uh doesn't introduce a ton of like dramatic changes to it sort of just you know gives you a nice dessert kind of wrap up the main course of the of the campaign uh but i will say that uh this game this or this expansion feels a lot more important than the last game's expansion frozen wilds which i thought was good but it was like oh it's more of a side story it doesn't really advance too much of that game's plot so it was skippable whereas this game uh because it takes place immediately after the main campaign ends and you have to have beaten the game to start the dlc because of that um there's a lot more like relevant plot advancement to where it this feels a lot more like required playing to get ready for the third game because they definitely provide uh provide a bit of a a bit of a peek into what that third game potentially will be in terms of like how it will play out narratively. That's okay. That's interesting because like the th- not to spoil anything, but the third game definitely drops something at the end that it was yeah, or the second like, game or the second game. Yeah, where you're kind of yeah. like feels like I should have learned about this earlier. Like this feels like a lot of stuff happening here at the end. Yeah, <laughs> you know? like, like it, it almost felt like the last like thirty minutes of Horizon Zero Dawn is like get ready for the third one. It's like I'm still playing the second one, guys. <laughs> yeah, like it's the second game ends on basically a, a bit of a cliffhanger. I don't know if uh, this this is going to be tricky to talk about because the expansion, like the the main threat, very much builds upon the uh, the, the main threat of the second game, which in itself is like a mild spoiler maybe not so much now because the game's been out over a year but if you know what the the primary threat of the second game is uh burning shores has more of that <laughs> i'm trying to well, be I think vague. Nailed it, i mean i, I think <laughs> i think here's the thing is that like i think burning shores being what it is uh in the way that you're describing does give an opportunity for people to like like as it being a natural outgrowth of the end of the second game 
I suspect that might have been purposeful uh, as as a way to, um, I don't know, get people, get more people in the front door of of that second game and then have something uh, like a new motivation to, to get people to do that. Because as, as I think um, as a group, we've all observed, that was a game that uh, had some bad luck at, at launch last year, right? I mean, like, generally speaking, I think most people I talk to have positive things to say about Horizon's uh, second game. But it it was kind of out at that same time that, like, Elden Ring was kind of burning things up and God of War was, was you know, kind of a, a big thing uh, that kept people last year from, from diving into a big... Uh, big project game like this and I think there were a lot of folks that kind of like maybe missed it right and so I wonder if Burning Shores doesn't offer a chance to to bring people into that you know well I mean that's the, the well the tricky thing about that is that you have to have beaten the game to get to this so you sure. if you didn't finish the game and you want to play Burning Shores you have to go back, you have to and, go back and play the whole thing so yeah. yeah you have to have that motivation too and not Forbidden West is not a short game. And also the bummer about that is uh, if you're a PlayStation 4 player, uh, this expansion is a PS5 exclusive. Yeah. So oh, really? that's, oh. uh, yeah, it's, which is sad because like I said before, this expansion does feel important of like sort of bridging the gap between what this and the upcoming third game of like, oh, okay, I can see, I have a better idea of what that third game's going to look like. And also just, sort of putting a bow on the stuff that happened in Forbidden West. It, it stinks that PS4 players will pretty much will have to watch that on YouTube if they don't pick up a PS5 in the near future. That said, it, it is fun. I think the, you know, the story takes Aloy to Los Angeles, which looks amazing, like the rest of that game does. Uh, every time I boot up Horizon, even when I was like actively playing it uh, when it launched last year, it's always kind of slaps me in the face with how absolutely amazing everything looks. You're like, this game feels like it shouldn't be real with how <laughs> how like high the fidelity is and that it runs as well as it does and just seeing these fractured islands that used to make up hollywood and seeing all the recognizable like oh there's lax airport like just it's its own little island and it's destroyed and it's surrounded by these aircrafts or going to the griffith observatory and of course the hollywood sign it's just like it seemed like all these molten lava rivers you know, pouring into the sea, it, it looks awesome. And it's also just a nice visual change of pace from just the sort of different biomes from the base game. Um, Alex, you mentioned before that you get a, a skiff, which is like this motorized boat, which is cool. But honestly, I never really used it outside of the required segments uh, because oh, okay. at the end of the game, uh, of the base game, you have a flying mount. And, oh, okay. and there's a reason why you don't get it until the last like bat like hour not even hour but like the last act of the main game is that you don't need to use anything else outside of fast travel when you can just fly everywhere and this yeah. expansion actually encourages you to use your flying mount more because uh the game has it has a lot more verticality there's a bunch of you know downtown la that's still standing barely and they actually situate a lot of uh secrets and like even entrances to i guess dungeons on like the roofs or like the upper levels of these That's things cool. so they're telling you to fly okay. around to like hey keep an eye out there's like uh giant treasure caches that your water wing or your uh sun wing can grab and drop there's uh doors that the flying mounts can rip open and so 
you know, like, okay, I'm just going to fly around so I can keep an eye on this stuff. But also, one, it's just cool to do that. And the skiff is comparatively kind of slow when you can just fly everywhere. And also, you can only access it at certain docks. Whereas, a, you know, your bird, you can just whistle and it'll just show up and pick you up anywhere. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is cool, but it is completely overshadowed by <laughs> the fact that you can fly now. So I'm not going to, why would I ever use it? <laughs> uh, so, but with that said, I think uh, my favorite thing about this expansion is uh, the story stuff. Uh, you meet a new companion named Seika, who is part of the Quinn. Uh, this expansion pretty much focuses exclusively on the Quinn, who was one of the, was my favorite faction in Forbidden West. You meet them kind of during the second half of the main game they're from like the a far off land like not they're not based in north america we don't know where they're from but they're definitely like from another continent um you get to meet like another band of them uh separate from the ones or the group that you met in the base game and seika is part of that group and she's sort of the catalyst for the story i think she's a really cool character uh honestly she's up there now with my among my favorite characters of the series and i don't think the horizon games have a ton of like genuinely great characters in my opinion there's like a handful that i'm like yeah i i get down with them uh she's probably like top three now uh and they seem to be setting her up for maybe something bigger down the line at least i hope so because uh like i said she pretty much drives the plot in this game she sticks with you throughout the expansion uh which is great for combat because she's a pretty capable ai partner uh, one of my favorite things about her is that she uses her rope caster a lot. So she'll like tie down machines for you and, you know, leaves them vulnerable for you to get in and do uh, finishing moves or just to target machine parts that you need. Uh, outside of battle, there's some pretty cool cooperative based puzzles, especially in the early stages of the expansion where it almost feels like you're playing like a single player, like, like a, like an, it takes two or, or something where you're going through areas and then you're like creating platforming paths for each other. Like there's a segment where you're using a siege weapon to shoot bolts on like cliff faces that the other one can climb up to another perch. And then they use a siege and then you do it for them. And you're like waiting for her to do it. It's like, yeah, I'm going to wait here. She's going to climb up. Then she gets on it, shoots some stuff. And then I climb up. And it honestly, it feels, you could be tricked into thinking you're playing with like another person. Like it, it works that well. Uh, I wish there were more of them because they kind of fade out after maybe the first half of the of the expansion, which overall, it's like roughly 10 hours, I'd say it took me to get through between that and the, doing all the side missions of which there's only like a small handful of side stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like that. Uh, the combat isn't dramatically different. You do get one pretty powerful new weapon about midway through. But other than that, uh, they introduce like a new uh slate of legendary weapons or legendary versions of your existing weapons of like oh here's a new bow here's a new rope caster here's a new um like bomb sling whatever it is as well as mm-hmm. some new armor sets uh there's a resource called brimstone that's new and you pretty much have to collect that to get the new legendaries but they're all over the place which is nice and they're not terribly hard to find so i managed to get most of all the new stuff relatively quickly that was kind of one of my main things i was doing outside of the uh missions was just kind of seeking those out yeah but yeah i it's good it's it's just like a fun tightly written sort of uh like i said like an epilogue but that feels meaningful like i don't want to get into too many story stuff but i i think the story stuff 
is good and compelling. There's some like fun twists in there. I think the final boss is really cool. It might be. Honestly, it's probably cooler than the final boss of the main game, <laughs> now that I think about it. And again, it, it it has me, like, I think the ending of Forbidden West, the main campaign, I thought was really cool and it was very, like, eyebrow raising. And then this expansion sort of, like, has me even more excited to see how Alo and her friends tackle what's next. Uh, so, yeah, definitely worth checking out if you enjoyed that first game. I gave it an eight. My review should be live on the site now and you know it doesn't it came or excuse me the uh, best thing about this expansion is that it's uh a few weeks before zelda so doesn't have to worry about that again <laughs> it's tradition now, to release horizon right around some hugely impactful open world game it's just yeah, yeah or i guess star wars is out it does yeah they do have to hit and beat with star wars i asked you this question about dead island 2 last week mm-hmm. and i asked the same thing about the horizon the series where do they go next? Where they where do they take the fight next? Is it Hawaii? Is there a more Forbidden West? So what's funny is that I actually mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. again because of the way the DLC Back to the ends East. and like I actually get to have a solid idea of where they go geographically. Mm, okay, all right. Well, I'll ask the rest of the crew. I don't want to. I don't want to tempt you uh, to spoil it. Where is Mount Rushmore? Is that North Dakota or South Dakota? South, South Dakota. South Dakota. South Dakota. Let's let's get Aloy climbing yeah. on Mount Rushmore. For reference, when I moved to Minneapolis, I drove like five hours out of my way to go to Mount Rushmore, and we got there and it was on fire. Wait, and what? So, yeah, we kept burning like Rushmore. Fire. You mean the surrounding forest, not the actual statue? Yeah, the, the statue, the carving is the, on fire. The mountain was not on fire. <laughs> I think that would be like some sort of like biblical implication. Well, that'd be something out of a Horizon game. The burning, the burning rock. Someone yeah. just dumped a bunch of gasoline on it. And I mean, I, I like the yeah. idea of just like Aloy only knows how to go west. Like she's got a compass, <laughs> and she's like, I guess I figured out everything that's happening here, and I'm on the shore of the Pacific Ocean, so I guess I'm just gonna have to learn how to swim. And that's horizon down under. Yeah, so we just there keep we go. going west. So I mean, East Coast would be cool. I mean, the first game's in Colorado, and then you know, yeah, yeah, Colorado, like Utah, right? Like Colorado, Utah area, isn't that? Yeah, um, and then you know, obviously the sequels in Cali. So yeah, you know, what's what's Aloy takes on the Big Apple. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, why not? I yeah. mean, my personal wish list has always been to leave North America and see. Just I would like to see how the rest yeah, of the world cool. has changed. You know, like I said, the Quinn has been the only sort of glimpse of what is out beyond the United States. Uh, so I would love, I would love to just see their like homeland. That'd be that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Kyle, I think you need to get out of here, don't you? Yeah, I'm piecing out. But I had a great time. It was nice to be on a, pat- a podcast with you again, Matt. It's been years, probably. It's been, <laughs> for you and I specifically, up. it's been a long yeah. time. It used to be Kyle and I all the time would be on on. Uh, in the olden days, it would be on podcasts all the time, but uh, I don't think since you've been back working with us that I've been on with you. So no, uh, that's that's it's, uh, it's fun. You guys got to do more than just play games sometimes. You know? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I, I just got to stop being so lazy. <laughs> all right. Well, you guys enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah. All right, we are back. Kyle had to jump and uh, go handle some business. Uh, so now me, Matt, and Marcus are finishing out the show. We're going to we're going to answer uh, your questions about Jedi Survivor. Um, but first, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to share with you. 
Uh, as we said at the top of the episode, just wanted to remind you that single issues of Game Informer are now available to purchase for $5.99 each. Uh, we have available our uh, Resident Evil 4 cover, our Dead Island 2 cover, and our indie issue featuring Sea of Stars, and our Diablo 4 cover is coming soon. If you'd like to purchase uh, singular issues, go over to GameStop.com slash Game Informer. And currently at the bottom of the page is where those are sitting. Uh, and yeah, you can grab them for $5.99. It's a great way to uh, support Game Informer if you don't have a subscription uh, or maybe somebody in your life you want to share a certain issue with. That's a great way to do it without having to sign them up for you know a whole annual subscription and all that. You can just get those singular issues. And uh, yeah, we hope you're excited about it. Let us know what you think. And uh, yeah, don't forget, uh, follow this crew here. Uh, you can follow them on, well, Matt's not really on social media, but he's got a, he's got a Twitter handle, um, that he posts about tabletop stuff on, uh, a couple times a year. You can follow him at Matthew R. Miller. Uh, you can follow Marcus at Marcus Stewart seven, Kyle at Kyle M. Hilliard, and you can follow me at it's Van Aiken. Don't forget to go and listen to all things Nintendo, which is our, you guessed it, our podcast about all things Nintendo. It comes out every Friday. It's hosted by our online content director, Brian Shea, and it's a great listen. So if you enjoy this show and you want more from Game Informer, go, go and check those episodes out. Lastly, thank you to Matt uh, Storm, a.k.a. DJ Stormageddon. They are our podcast editor, and uh, you should go check out their podcast. They host a general gaming podcast called Fun and Games. And then if you're a Bioware fan, they host the show called Reignite, uh, which is all about you know Mass Effect, Bioware, Dragon Age, all that fun stuff. Alex, can I quickly also plug our uh, yeah our super replay, our new one? We recently oh started. yeah uh, yeah. Kyle and I are playing Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts every Friday uh, on a Twitch at two p.m. I Central. love that y'all are playing that. By the way, yeah, I think that's it's awesome. Great. Yeah, I'm I'm on the sticks for this. Uh, actually, the reason I wanted to play it is because of Zelda, just because of the the Ultra Hand and the fusing yeah. stuff. I kept it kept getting nuts and bolts comparisons and i've never played that game but i've always been curious i was like oh what a great time to finally see what people are talking about and this is like a weird soft training for <laughs> tears of the kingdom but we have two episodes up uh third episode will be this friday uh i'm enjoying it so far it's a it's a it's a rad game that's awesome i i have watched uh, a little bit of your streams i'm excited to go and watch the uh the vods um if people want to watch those uh, youtube.com slash game informer shows or watch live on twitch on fridays twitch.tv slash game informer and our tiktok uh, kyle's been making some fun clips we've got a lot of we got a lot of irons in the fire here at game informer so <laughs> yeah you know there's a lot that you, you can do to keep up with us uh like joining our discord which you get access to by subscribing one time to our twitch channel and that's where you can leave us questions for the game informer show if you don't want to send us an email um if you do want to send us an email it's podcast at gameinformer.com. Uh, this week, it looks like we've got all Discord questions. And uh, yeah, they're all about Jedi Survivor. So let's get into it. Matt, Snake Eater 1964 would like to know, does Cal still have a poncho? Cal has a bunch of options now. He's got a mullet, at least in my version of the game. <laughs> he, he's much more customizable this time. I think you can still, uh, he still has a jacket option. Uh, so you could you could poncho that up, I guess. Um, I didn't really have him dressed in a poncho myself. I had him dressed in a cape. Yeah. Wait, what? There's a yeah, cape. Yeah. yeah, there's a cape. Uh, oh. I also had a variations of cape. He he has a um, 
one of the outfits I had him in for a while, he was looking a little bit like one of those Jedi in the Clone Wars where he has like the shoulder arm armor pieces. Oh yeah. He looks yeah. looking pretty cool there. Did you did you feel weird about like giving him different facial hair and hairstyles? You know, I eventually settled on like this is his look. This is what he looks like now. Uh-huh. And I left it there. Okay. Yeah. There's like the a, default. Yeah, well, this is like I, I, it took me a while to find it. And then I was like, okay, this is now this is my cow, and this is what his lightsaber looks like, and this is okay. the, what he's wearing. And I kind of stuck with it and uh, and felt good about it. But I quite liked the customization stuff because I think I remember in the first game feeling like I didn't I didn't love his like look uh, sure. personally, and I was like, I wish I could like have him be different. And now I can. Uh, there's a I, I didn't I, this was one thing I didn't have time to mess around with but there is a uh, upon beating the game it unlocks a mode where every time you die it it randomly uh, recustomizes your your look for Cal based That's on cool. you, everything you <laughs> unlock so you just get like a totally weird like mixed up That's know. awesome anyway. I like that a lot uh, sounds like Rogue Legacy a little bit Yeah a little bit Troidal Power asks. On the broader idea of reviewing sequels, do y'all like to replay the original right beforehand for comparison or maybe watch a refresher video on the plot or just go in with your memories? I, yes. <laughs> it's kind of all of the above for me, depending on what it is. I would I would agree with that. I, I, we don't talk about it a lot, but um, we take our reviews very, very seriously and we try really hard to get to be as informed and up to speed on stuff as we can, timing time allowed uh, for the things that we can. So in this case, for uh, Jedi, I replayed the entire first game just like a month ago because I knew that we, we talk, especially for bigger major sequels like this, we often talk uh, ahead of time about like, okay, who's likely to have time to be able to tackle this review? Uh, who's got the expertise to do it? That kind of thing. And that gives us the, the flexibility to start doing some of that research ahead of time. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I took I took some time and I, I replayed it. And I think more so than in many games, it was that was a good call this time, both because getting back up to speed on the characters and what was happening in their stories as that last game concluded was helpful. But it's also uh, more than a lot of sequels does. This game builds on the skill set and the play style that you've established in the first one uh, and doesn't really like scale you back at all we talked about this a little earlier in the in the show but like um you know you start out and cal's a, like a a jedi knight he's got all of his stuff he's got all of his moves uh and you're expected i mean it does a pretty good job of onboarding you i think and and helping you get up to speed but you're expected to pretty much right away go into like i know how to block i know how to dodge i know how to parry I know how to light attack versus heavy attack. I know when to use force, push, yeah. that kind of stuff. Like you, you, you want to be using all the tools at your disposal. Yeah, definitely. And I think that philosophy kind of stretches to all of our content. I mean, our cover stories have a lot of research that go into them most of the time. You know, Wes, when he was writing the Dead Island 2 cover story, he went and replayed a lot of the first game. You know, it's kind of like it. it's it's a big part of the job just to make sure you're fully informed on and you're able to speak to you know those audiences and and cover those products with with expertise like matt said uh all right next question is from pandas with bombs 
what would you say is the biggest improvement from the original? And considering how it's going with Respawn, with Respawn going from multiplayer shooters to single-player adventure games versus Rocksteady with Justice League, do you think more game studios should try to make a change? Okay, well, so on the first one, biggest improvement, I think the uh, uh, the navigation stuff, just in terms of overall flow and experience, that's probably one of the most significant ones. I I, I think for anybody who played the first game, the, the, the backtracking and the getting confused about where you were and how to get back where you were wanted to get to was a problem. I mean, it was a, like as a it was an issue with that first game that made it less enjoyable. I think, um, and even when they tried to include new elements as part of that backtracking, like oh surprise surprise, there's a boss fight that you didn't know was going to be here, it still felt at uh, frequently like you were you're kind of just um, confused, where I did I lost sometimes. And this is large the bit between the fast travel stuff and the and um, more thoughtful level design that has been uh, resolved. Um, the other things are more just uh, advancements. I, I think a lot of the other things are are like this is better than it used to be. I think combat and dueling feels better. I think the traversal mechanics feel better, and there's more interesting traversal puzzles and and challenges to solve for. Uh, I think the storytelling is is uh, and the dialogue is is better, and uh, so it, uh, I talked about it in my review. But like, I, I think this is like what you want out of a sequel. We've you've seen what was good in the first one. We're going to keep that, and we're going to make everything else that wasn't as good as it could be better. Yeah, definitely. And then I think uh, I think in in terms of your second question, I, I think it's always cool to see people try new things, you know, uh, whether it pans out or not. I think, uh, uh, that, that, that kind of stuff breeds creativity and breeds new ideas, uh, versus kind of resting on your laurels. And yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on it. To ex- sort of expand on your question. Do you guys have a favorite example of a studio doing something totally different? In response up there, I really liked the way that they, uh, shifted direction and, and the way they found it help to find something new about their identity. I mean, they've kind of done that several times now. I mean, you know, if you want to count leaving infinity ward and kind of starting up a new studio doing Titanfall, which was very much a new sort of way to approach FPS games. And they really helped to continue the momentum of the battle Royale genre with apex legends. And then they turned to, you know, to single player stuff with star Wars. I feel like they're really good about that yeah yeah agreed I, I think another one i might point to would be um i don't know if i'd say it's a favorite and i'll, I'll explain why but housemark did a big pivot uh with returnal um f- from their focus on like kind of arcade style stuff the only re- reason i say that it's not my favorite is that like i'm i'm quite ambivalent about that i think returnal is an awesome game uh and I, it clearly was a good decision for their studio from a business perspective of like uh, putting them more centrally on gamers' radars as like a really great studio, but I also really love their arcade games. So, uh, like their arcade style games and their approach to some of that stuff, the, the their like twin six shooter kind of uh, thing. And uh, I'm sure after the success of Returnal, they we probably won't see a lot more of that from them, which would be yeah, just too bad. I think Blizzard has always done a great job at you know switching focuses. I mean. RTS, FPS, 
MMO, card games, you know, uh, MOBAs. They've kind of done it all. And now they're working on a survival game. They just kind of, as a, as a company, seem to, you know, find something that interests them and then just go after it and try to make it, you know, the best possible version of that thing. Yeah. I think a smaller call out might be Tangle Gameworks. You know, they did those two Evil Within games, which are very much sort of Resident Evil 4 inspired horror games. Then Ghostwire Tokyo being more of a first person, almost kind of like Far Cry-ish like experience. And then now we got Hi-Fi Rush, which is this like rhythm based, colorful third person action game. Uh, Pretty much all their big stuff has been very different from each other. And then, you know, Hi-Fi Rush being the most different, at least tonally. So, yeah, I think. It's always cool to see people make stuff. I get more excited about an established studio doing something different, even if it maybe doesn't look immediately amazing, but I'm still like, oh, it's cool. Like, it's cool to see them giving it a shot. Like Naughty Dog is a studio I would like to see, for example, do something completely out of their wheelhouse. Yeah, it's it's an it's an unusual thing. I mean, uh, having had the good fortune and the opportunity to to spend time with a lot of different developers over the years and visit a lot of studios. I think there are some places that are more uh, set up to have that kind of flexibility um, and to move into fundamentally new directions than other places. And then that's not necessarily a commentary on their quality. Sometimes it's uh, it's that um, the studio that has been built has been built around, we are going to be the very best we possibly can at this one thing. And we're going to bring in the best talent we can that knows how to do that one thing. So the idea of, well, we're going to shift from being like a, uh, you know, multiplayer focused shooter team to being, uh, you know, a storytelling adventure game team is often, well, that that's not leveraging the talent that they have in the studio uh, that they've built everything around. Whereas other times I suspect that when you see these shifts, like you saw, you uh um, with Respawn or or with Housemark or, or some of the other studios that we were talking about here, uh, it's because the unique formulation of team members that they had on board were ready to, you know, were pushing for something different and were ready to try something different. Well, that's a great answer. Uh, I'm going to, we have a couple questions left. I'm going to, I'm going to just, we have more than a couple. I'm going to pick two real yeah, quick sure. and then we'll answer the rest next week. Uh, so Jay Herb, you have a very interesting question about RTS games. We're going to save that for next week for a larger discussion. Uh, Pradable has a very quick uh, question that I'm going to answer. Uh, he, they're just asking, what is the expected game length of Jedi Survivor? Uh, Marcus and Matt were talking uh, while we were on break. And I think we've kind of come down to, like, if you're really speeding through, you could probably get get it done in, you know, about 25 hours. It's probably a safe bet. Uh, but I know... For Miller, it was closer to the 40-hour mark. And that's also the hour mark I've heard from a lot of other uh, friends who were, were re- reviewing this game. Uh, seems to be, like, you know, closer towards 40 if you want, like, more of a rich, complete experience, you know. A lot of optional content that's worth yeah. checking out. Yeah. Uh, and then last question for, for the whole group here. Judonkadonk in Discord asks, what is a genre... Uh, or a game that you think would work for Star Wars and what character in Star Wars should get their own game. Matt, I wanted to ask this because you are a big Star Wars guy. Are there, are there any games that you're like, man, I really wish we had a Star Wars version of this? And if so, what what characters would you want it to center around? Gosh, 
I think there's a lot of different directions that haven't been tapped well uh, yet for the Star Wars universe. It does feel like, I mean, we always do these, these uh, everybody has fond memories of uh, Knights of the Old Republic and, you know, bringing Star Wars into an RPG sphere. That game was a long time ago. Uh, and a lot has changed about uh, role-playing game design and, uh, and that kind of thing. So I think that would be one place that, even though we've seen it before with KOTOR, um, having something else uh, that explores sort of that role-playing experience would be good. Um, I think a, uh, a true open-world game could be pretty neat, too, um, uh, in the vein of... Uh, you know, something like uh, Elder Scrolls, right? Fallout, sure. where you're, yeah. but it's a Star Wars kind of vibe. Um, as for Hear me out. What's that? Sorry, but I want to interrupt you. Hear yes. me out. Yeah, yeah. A cantina-focused game where it's a rhythm game and you're playing as the cantina band. <laughs> That's amazing. I'd love that. Yeah. Uh, and it's and small cantina. budget, too, you know? I was going to say, uh, it's funny, because I had a rhythm of music idea, too, but what if you did Crypt of the Necrodancer, but Star Wars theme, and you just got to do, like, a cool dungeon crawl as, like, Luke or something, and you're getting, like, techno remixes of all the awesome Star Wars music, <laughs> That's and you're fun. just killing lightsaber, or killing stormtroopers to the beat, doing a lightsaber duel to the beat. <laughs> That's fun. I think, you know what, you could do a, uh, who is the guy, uh, Dex uh the um uh the the diner guy do an overcooked style game with dex's oh diner. that's funny uh, <laughs> i, I that's mean funny. you can do, do a lot of different different uh fun stuff i i don't know like as for characters oh man um i mean mando's got to be like dinjar and mandalorian he's probably my number one of like he needs a game right <laughs> yeah that could be pretty cool i think you know i uh, this would be kind of a weird twist, but I think it could be pretty neat to uh, to create a game in the style of um, like those like the island sim managers where you're like running your Ooh. own crazy uh, like criminal empire that kind of thing. But do it like yeah. be Emperor Palpatine, be Darth like Vader. a Tropico or something. yeah, like exactly in that vein. Yeah, but you you are having to like you finally defeated the Jedi with Order sixty six. You have you have reached your goal. You are now the emperor of the galaxy. Now you got to try to hold it together. Uh, That's funny, actually. And yeah, and like and not like for funny. Like like do like a a genuine. Oh, like, serious? Like a like do it as a as like a, <laughs> a, a management of like how do you hold an empire together through? It's like there's a rat. Go get him, and we're gonna execute him. Yeah. Like establishing <laughs> the inquisitors. Yeah, and no, stuff. exactly. And you'd have to like build up upgrades uh to your um your your different facilities that we're going to seek out the uh the intelligence you needed for uh people who were trying to be traitors and you'd have an apprentice and maybe it was vader but maybe eventually it could be somebody else because vader tried to overthrow you and you got rid of him and you have to constantly deal with an apprentice who's trying to like overthrow you secretly but still working for you i mean there's all That's sorts funny. of fun stuff you could do there i think yeah i like that a lot well, cool. I think that's going to be it for this week's episode of the Game Informer Show. Uh, Matt, Marcus, thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you to everybody out there who uh, asked us questions. Again, if you want to get involved, you can email us at podcast at gameinformer.com uh, with the subject line Game Informer Show question, or you can join the Discord and just ask your question 
in the Game Informer Show channel. Uh, that's going to do it for the week. We will see you all next Thursday. Bye, everybody. Yeah.